0: Some Bibles that can be handed out here. Raise your hand nice and high if you don't have a Bible. We got a couple of folks, one another folks, who forgot their Bible. All right, that was mean. That's okay. We all make mistakes. But if you need a Bible, raise your hand, somebody will bring it to you. And turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews. As we continue together this morning, we're going to go on in our Being the Church series. And then the sub-series that we're within, in that context, is being one another. So we're looking at those verses which command believers in a way that shows us how we are to interact with one another. So over the past three weeks, we've learned that we must first love one another, that we must accept one another, and lastly, that we must forgive one another. So today, we will explore how to encourage one another. And it's good that I got this topic, because if you were to ask my wife, Michelle, she will tell you, I'm not a good encourager. Now, maybe that's a little bit skewed, because she's her mother's daughter, and her mother, my mother-in-law, is a wonderful encourager. Any little thing, and you're going to get her signature, that's great! I mean... You could get a certificate from the library for like bringing back books on time. And she would act like you ran a marathon. This was my mother-in-law. And it's continued down through the generations to my daughter who yesterday was playing with her friend Savannah. And Savannah and her were doing gymnastics. And she goes, Savannah, great job. You almost did a cartwheel. (laughs) So it's a little tough for me who's more like a baseball manager. I'm one of these guys who if someone hits a home run and he walks back to the dugout, I'm like, good work, good job. Drives Michelle nuts. So I'm working on how to be a better encourager like my mother-in-law and like my wife and like my daughter so that I can encourage them better, but also so that I can encourage all of you better, especially after being the recipient of so much encouragement as a pastor here at Anacostia River Church, just earlier this week, Sister Jadine sent me a very encouraging note, just at the right time. It was making plain to me that the Lord has enabled his saints to be vessels of common grace when it's much needed. All too often, we forget that the head has employed the rest of the body parts to function as a necessary whole. So then, when we take that view we don't encourage one another aggressively or we don't make known the areas to others that we are in need of encouragement. And when that happens, those different body parts go numb because like a hand over here that's getting cold, it's not getting the blood flow it needs either because the hand is working too hard and the heart can't keep up. That's a problem with the body. Or because the hand decided to stop moving and isn't showing need for blood. And that's the problem with that member, that body part. Now generally, the hand isn't such a position that the heart can't keep up, or stops moving so long that the circulation ceases. just to set myself up, I have a feeling I'm gonna be hearing about different ailments at the back door when this sermon is done. But in extreme environments, numbness comes quickly. So there's an urgency to keep that blood flowing. Whether you're a drummer, drumming so fast, your hands just start going numb because you just can't keep up. The blood's not going to get there. Or you're back in that death zone on Mount Everest, and it's so cold that you take off your glove. Within 10 seconds, it freezes in place. We've got to keep that blood flowing. It's an urgent matter for the hand. And this is where we begin in Hebrews. Hebrews is a book where we find that Jesus is better. He's better than everything. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the priests. He's better than the tabernacle and sacrifices. Jesus is better. This is the theme of the book of Hebrews. Now, what we often miss in this book is the juxtaposition up against death. Hebrews is filled with warnings to the recipients that if they don't believe in salvation through Jesus, the result is death. Throughout the book, we move back and forth between life and death, but the author rightly emphasizes that the way, the truth, and the life is much better. And that's probably why we view Hebrews in the way that we do. So that's an encouragement to us. So with that context, let's land today in chapter 3, verse 13. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. So let's look at how we we view this interplay within our relationships as it relates to encouragement. First, we'd like to look at the urgency of encouragement. The urgency of encouragement. And then we will look at the encouragement in urgency. Two sides, so those are your first two big points. Urgency of encouragement, and and then we'll look at the encouragement in urgency. And I think this is the way that Christ wants us to approach the Word, not with a view of life and death as kind of a yin and yang, seeking some kind of balance. And he doesn't also want us to come to the Word as kind of a, a dooming gloom, where we only emphasize the wrath of God without mentioning the better sacrifice. And lastly, he doesn't want us to, to come to the word with a health and wealth view where we ignore the wrath of God because we have a better king. No, the Christian approaches the word understanding that there for suffering with the Savior causing an urgency and then glory in the presence of God causing an encouragement. We hold these two things in tension and we can do that because we hold an eternally focused viewpoint. Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. First, as I said, we'll take on the urgency of encouragement, and we'll do that in three points. Point A, we'll do this while it's today. Well, it's today. Point B, we will do this day after day. And point C, or else we will be hardened by sit, hardened alone. So point A, well, it's today. Point B, day after day. Point C, or else be hardened alone. Point A, well, it's today. Well, folks, you got about 13 more hours. That's the deadline. What makes something urgent is that there is a deadline. And if you don't do it, there is a consequence. So the deadline today is today. Now plenty of things have deadlines. But there are some things that have deadlines and don't have any real consequences if left undone. Such as cleaning the dust off the top of your television. Maybe that's on the roommate rotation cleaning list. But even after watching The Lion King a hundred times, it's never really been an issue for your viewing experience. So the consequence of not doing it will probably be more annoyance from your roommates or nothing at all. Now that's different than a deadline that does have a consequence. One, for instance, that I'm up against today. I've got a 5.30 p.m. flight out of BWI which means I've got to be packed and out the door by 3.40 p.m. That cuts it a little close, but that's how I roll. But this packing is urgent. It can't wait. If I don't pack and I get on that flight, which I need to do in order to keep my job, I won't have any clothes or shoes or, most importantly, headphones for the next nine days. So the question about this today deadline that we're dealing with in this verse is is it urgent is the today deadline we find in verse 3:13 urgent the answer is yes it's urgent now the rest of the verse actually does hold the temporal consequence that would make it urgent. But before we even get to that half, we can deduce that it's urgent, firstly, because it is a command. It is a command. The verse does not say, you should, or it would be great if. It says, encourage one another. there's not any kind of conditional statement. It's a clear and direct command to the body. So, before there is any mention of a deadline or consequence, we must obey the command because it comes from the one who has the authority to command, the word of God, who is God himself. Therefore, regardless of any other information that's subsequently provided to us, as his creation, we must listen. So, providentially for you all this morning, you can obey this command before you leave the room. Secondly, it's urgent because there is a deadline. That deadline, as we've already said, is today. Even the writer sets the tone here that today is passing, so he even heightens that that urgency. Now, and don't overthink it here. Sometimes we get confused because there's these quotes around this word today, and I can tell you that We'll, we'll get into kind of the implications of that a little bit further on, but it does mean today as in Sunday, July 28th, 2019. The reason for that is that preceding that quoted today, we see day after day. So, no, the writer is actually talking about the present day, not, not a, a fake day only, but a present day, or our shouldn't say a fake day, but a, a greater realized day. That we will touch later. It will not always be today. Tomorrow will be tomorrow. So from today's perspective, tomorrow is not today. Now tomorrow will become today, but you don't want to wait for that because tomorrow is not guaranteed. You only have today right now. That makes sense? Thanks, Miss Carol. So the deadline here is today. And we see this through much of Scripture, that we have to act today both before and after verse 13 the holy spirit says today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion now this was quoted all the way back from psalm 95 so we don't get to take a i'll get around to it attitude with the god of the universe because most who take this attitude never get around to it today comes and goes and the scripture also says that our life is but a breath. It is a vapor. It is nothing compared to the eternality of God. We must take this deadline seriously. And that moves into our third point, subpoint here, is that it is urgent because of the eternal consequence. So first we see it as a command, then we see the deadline, and now we are seeing the eternal consequence. See, in the Christian life, we need not only be concerned with today, we must also be concerned with that day, that day when Jesus comes back, of which nobody knows the day or the hour. Second Thessalonians, you can turn there. 2 Thessalonians gives us a brief cut to this scene in chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, I believe verse 5. It is a clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom for which you are suffering. Since it is righteous for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to reward with rest those you who are afflicted along with us. This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels, taking vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength in that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and admired by all those who have believed because our testimony among you was believed. So on that day, believers will be counted worthy of God's kingdom. And that decision being made righteously by God as he looks at Christ, the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. That we find from the Lord himself in Matthew 16. However, the unbeliever has another path. Taking vengeance with flaming fire on those who don 't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the lord's presence and from his glorious strength in that day it's a it's a sobering thought too often when, when this message is preached it's it's with like vitriol and anger and it should cause us to to fear God, to have a right view of his authority, the reality of sin and its consequences. So with a broken heart, as a pastor of this church, I want to say to you today, don't wait to act until that day. If you do not believe this message, don't wait. Believe on him today. Today. For the Christian, obey his commands and abide in Christ and be rewarded on that day. But for that unbeliever, again, I say to you, turn to Christ. Receive him today through the message of the gospel. God made you and he loves you. And even though you and I and everybody else disobeyed his commands and rejected him, For which the punishment is this eternal destruction and separation from his holy presence, he still loved us so much that he sent his son to die in our place. So that if we only repent of our sins and believe in him, we are reunited to him and glorified in his kingdom. That's the gospel message. So don't harden your hearts. Believe this message today. Moving on to point B, day after day. We're not only given the deadline of today. We are also provided the prescription. Every day, day after day, daily. It's a necessary means to the healthy Christian walk And we could go down the line with food and medicine analogies and physical activities and all of this, but I'd rather focus on the main point. It's urgent. It's urgent for ourselves and it's urgent for others, as we already made note of at the beginning. So first, it's urgent for ourselves. Hebrews 2.1 says, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it you know how you can pay closer attention? Be encouraged day after day. Think about this term drifting. If you were in a boat, say you got on a boat in San Francisco, and you set a course for Hawaii, and imagine you had two lights at the front of the boat. There'd be a, a green light and a red light. And every hour, one of those beacons would light up and beep. It would light green with a friendly beep if you were on course, but it would light red with a reasonable but still a firm tone if you were off course. And you would pay attention because every hour, this tone is going off. It's going to be hard to avoid. And you'd pay even closer attention because you'd want to make sure that, that it wasn't going towards that red one, that you were looking at the map and you were staying on course because you want to make it to Hawaii. Who doesn't want to make it to Hawaii? So now let's suppose you you start the journey and you see that it's it's going to take a while. It's getting boring and burdensome. And you look around, you're like, Pacific, it's not so bad. Nice weather. And in fact, you met some friends along the way. There's some mermaids who are fun to talk with. Come up alongside the boat. So after a few days, you decide to turn the frequency of the lights and sounds to every two hours because it was interrupting the mermaid songs, especially the red one, because it gets especially annoying. Just a little, this just really interrupts those songs. And then as time goes on, that green light rarely sounds so you decide to turn the frequency from two out from every 2 hours to once every 24 hours because that red tone that nasty buzzer is intolerable so some weeks later that red buzzer is all that sounds and you go and look at that map and you realize you're closer to Japan than Hawaii You've drifted. Getting to Hawaii at this point would seem impossible, but the mermaids keep you company, so you decide just to turn off both beacons forever. Just head to Japan, but what you don't realize is that your boat can't withstand the environmental challenges of going that far north to Japan. And you also don't realize that your friends, the mermaids, are actually sirens who view you as prey. The point of the story is to pay close attention to the frequent message that, that beacons communicate. If we turn down the frequency, we will cease to pay close attention naturally, and the active distraction of sin will call us to drift away even though we are dead to these sins. So church, let's be a beacon one to another, affirming, that's which, which, affirming that which is on track and cautioning that which isn't. So it stands to reason that if we need encouragement for ourselves, others are going to need it as well. Again, this is a, a one-another exercise, right? And we have a responsibility for this. Hebrews 12, 15 reads, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. If we don't bear one another up daily, encouraging one another, how much easier is it for these roots of bitterness to grow? There's nobody around to, to point out to you that you better dig that sucker up because, before it becomes a far bigger problem. And when you decide to go in and, and tear it up, you cause a whole bunch of collateral damage because it grew up under the porch and under the deck and under the cement and everything else. We've got to get those roots out early with the help of one another. And this is where we'll turn to our next point. Point C. There is an an urgency for encouragement today, day by day, or else be hardened. Alone. Emphasis on alone. Our verse again, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Notice. Being hardened is what happened when you aren't encouraged on the regular. Because you simply can't be encouraged if you're not with one another. So in order to be encouraged, I hope you see by now, we have to be together. In reverse, if you aren't with one another, you cannot be encouraged and you will be hardened. This is what we see as the temporal consequence It can be fixed, but it's the predecessor to the eternal consequence. Therefore, let's not take it lightly. In fact, verse 13 is given to us as an alternative to the warning in the preceding verse. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Now we begin to see the progression from a hardened heart to an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away. In that falling away, we see that that isolation. Think of like, I think it was the movie Gravity, right, or any kind of space movie where, you know, the astronaut goes out of the ship, right, and they're kind of moving, and then something happens, and they get disconnected, and it's just like, they like fade away from the ship. Falling away in isolation, this is why it moves from the temporal and curable consequence of a hardened heart by sin's deception to the eternal consequence of judgment. Hebrews 10, 26, and 27 read, for if we go on sinning deliberately, which I must add, that only occurs from a hardened heart that was produced by sin's deception. There's a a kind of a circular thing happening here. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fire of fury that will consume the adversaries. And then down to verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Don't find yourself in this place. The entire book of Hebrews is urgently exhorting you to avoid this fate. So what's the first step? Application number one. Hear his voice in faith. Hear his voice in faith. It's the antidote for the heart in heart. If you're not a believer, ask somebody here in this room who looks like they're a part of this whole one another thing, And they will encourage you to hear his voice. I promise you, any member of Anacostia River Church would love nothing more to encourage you in this way. So don't be bashful. It's urgent. Do it today. Now for the Christian who's already received the message and is struggling, don't wait for someone to encourage you. You go and ask for encouragement. You go and ask your brother and sister to wash you in the word. Say, hey, I'm struggling here. I need help hearing what the Lord would have to say because my heart is getting hard. And I am confident that your brother or sister will help you in this urgent matter. So now after we've reviewed the urgency of encouragement, which might some folks might think is the, the dooming gloom, we're going to take that Christian view and we're going to look at the Encouragement of urgency. So let's turn our attention to the aspects of the verse, verse which actually give us peace. And now you can consider this my of encouragement to you all today. The command has been fulfilled for me today. All right. We have an encouragement of urgency for that day. Point A, that day. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, and let us consider how to stir another, uh, one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of son, some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the, da- the day drawing near. We have a great hope. That day is drawing near. See, now, our encouraging It's meant to point us towards that day of Christ's return when he comes to be glorified with his saints and to be marveled at among all those who believe. As the saints eagerly anticipate his coming, it's only natural that we would stir up one another to love and good works. As portrayed in the parable of the ten virgins, there's so much excitement for for weddings in in view of that, that coming wedding day. You have mothers, you have sisters, and and family have these long lists of tasks that need to be completed by that day, and it is stressful. I know because my brother-in-law is getting married, and every day there's some stressful call about something that has to be done for this wedding day. But still, the anticipation of that day drives the tasks to be done while maintaining this positive attitude for welcoming in a new member to the family. It overrides that stress. So there we have a an encouragement of urgency that's similar to that which we should have towards His coming and the subsequent wedding feast with the whole family present. It's a wonderful illustration to us from God. And next we can we can say that this is uh, an encouragement because it's a promise. We can be encouraged that for that day, uh, we can be encouraged for that day because it is a promise that he will come. John 14, three, Jesus says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And note, he isn't just saying that he's like coming to sit in his own castle with a moat away from us, but like near us. No, no, he actually invites us into his father's house to dwell with us. And not only is this a, it's a promise that's vocalized, it's actually his name. His coming is his name. Hebrews, 12, uh, Hebrews 10, 37, for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. So his return is not only a fulfillment of his promise, but also of his name from eternity. So think about that for a minute. An eternal name of God is purposed for his return on that day. There's no beginning and no end to that name, but God sovereignly ordained it to be made for that day, that day which all of his people are to hope for. We we rejoice at the name Emmanuel when we think about Christmas, when we remember the incarnation. So let's continue to rejoice and be encouraged by the imminent return of the coming one. All right, now let's keep moving because the story just keeps getting better. Beloved, we are God's children now and we will not be, and we will be, I'm sorry, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Whoa. Whoa. So he's not just coming. He's not just fulfilling his own promises. He's, he's coming back to dwell with us, but we shall also be like him? Yeah, that's, that's what the text is saying. We call it glorification for the people of God. But there's even more. It's true rest. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did uh, as God did from his. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged by that. God has given us a promise that's in his name that will make us like him so that I can enter a true rest with the Savior and with his people. That's the story. That's the end game. There's a, you don't have a better story. I'm sorry you don't. That's the <laughs> best story. It is an urgent hope that can keep us encouraging one another day after day. And you and I while we sit here on this earth in this vapor of a life we can still rejoice in this with having an, what's called an already not yet view. Now, already, at, already not yet means that I have an assurance of these promises and I can live in the freedom and knowledge of them until the day that they're actually fully realized. So, this is one of the most encouraging ways that we can live in anticipation of this urgent coming. And in having this urgent hope, then, we need to act the Hebrew Sabbath rest section finishes with a charge, okay? It says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. It's not always easy, but with a joyful view of that day, we will, continue, we will continuously be encouraged to strive day after day. Now that daily walk is part of our sharing in Christ. The verse right after ours, so if you turn to look at verse 14, it goes on to say, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Here now we see this active holding on to until we get to that day. Again, it's that already not yet pattern of the Christian life where we hold this confident as we currently share in Christ. Well, anticipating the future day of this fuller inheritance. And this is an indicator of the urgency because that day is imminent. It's, it's coming very quickly. It may come while we're in this room. We don't know. So we can be encouraged because that participation, it comes along with a lot of implications. As we're in Christ... It means that we are his sons and daughters. We have a, a sonship. And it's not a cheap imitation of a sonship, it's a, a full adoption, including every right and responsibility one would expect of being part of a family. Later in Hebrews, we're reminded of this in chapter 12. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Therefore, we take this adoption through belief in Christ as an honor. Philippians tells us that, it's not, it, that it has been granted to us not only to believe, but also to suffer with him for his sake because it makes clear to us that we are indeed heirs with Christ, fully in the family of God. Yet, this does not mean that we presume that we have any power or the goodness or the smarts to have impressed God to make such an adoption. He himself made this possible with Christ accomplishing all we could not. Christ is the better prophet, the very word of God who declares righteous judgment and peace with God. Christ is the better priest who laid down his own life as a perfect sacrifice. Christ is the better king whose name is just and sits at the right hand of God eternally. It is this Christ who calls us brother and sister day after day. Consequently, We understand the encouragement of urgency day after day, not only as we share in Christ, but also in how we are now employed. 2 Corinthians 5 writes, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, we just covered that, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So just as in the the royal family in England, one's lineage does not only bestow blessings, but it confers certain titles and responsibilities. I think of, uh, I believe it was Edward, Edward VIII, Queen Elizabeth's uncle, He was given the title king. He was in his lineage. But he abdicated the throne because he wanted to do what he wanted to do. He wanted to marry somebody, and they had these rules, right? And so then, Queen Elizabeth's father was installed in place. And there was much ado about him abdicating his responsibility when he was the rightful heir to the throne. And this is why Queen Elizabeth, for many years has a very tight hold on the royal family because she was trying to rebuild the reputation of what it means to be in the royal family. She wanted all of her children to, to live up to the name and take responsibility for what that means. She's been in, I don't know, in the royal family, or she's been the queen now for like 65 years. It seems to be working. So for you, your title is minister or ambassador for the royal family of God. What's your role? Well, one of the chief responsibilities is to imitate the God of peace, showing forth his great reconciling work to all those who are around us. The end of Hebrews finishes like this, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. God ministers, God's ambassadors are equipped to imitate him. And remember, with that day approaching quickly, it's urgent. So here's three things we need to do. We need to pursue peace At the end of Hebrews, it says, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. There is an implication to the way we act as ministers and, and ambassadors for Christ. Secondly, we need to do good. Later in Hebrews, at the end, it says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Lastly we are to pray for both this uh, we are to pray for both this peace and good works pray for us it says for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things i urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that i may be restored to you the sooner the writer of hebrews urges them to pray for their own ministry and this restoration practically to them. And it seems that maybe there's a a correlation between the two that if these believers are playing the cards right, if they're carrying out their ministry of reconciliation well, that somehow these folks may be released from prison versus if the ministers kind of ignore this responsibility, ignore this call, and they just make it more havoc so that these prisoners aren't released because the reputation has been ruined. And even more so than this restoration that these believers might have on earth, we look towards this greater restoration, the true rest, where the whole family of God is gathered together, the saints being with their God. So finally, point, numbers, point C for the second half, we can be encouraged by urgency while tenderheartedly together. Opposed to being hardened alone. Like Plato, when it's left out and untouched, we become hard and unmalleable. But when it's constantly needed, we stay pliable, ready to be used by the molder. Now, our first togetherness, if we look at it in three different ways, would be with Christ. Now, we already know that we share in Christ, but, but further, So Christ's acts, they're not just something to be, to be marveled at, like a, like a superstar on stage at some concert. He's the, he's the superstar who comes into the crowd, joins this, this righteous crowd to continue in song to his heavenly father. Those are the best kind of celebrities You've known it if you've been to the the show, right? And they're up there and you're just like, can't believe it because now all of a sudden they're down there. They're like singing the song in in the middle of thousands of people. This is our Jesus wanting to be among us. So then our second togetherness is with the faithful who were before us. A handful of which are mentioned in chapter 11 in what is often referred to as the hall of faith. Right after it lists off these names, it says, these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So we find that these saints who have gone before us, they're also urgently awaiting that day. They're they're watching us it says it continues to say therefore since we have we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of god that finish line ahead As we're running, we are cheered on on the side by these saints who've gone before us. Ask us to finish the race well. They want to see every single last one of us cross that finish line, so that we can begin the celebration that all have finished the race, so that we can attain the full measure of Christ. Now, Michelle, now I got to tell you a story about Michelle in this in this instance. Some years ago, she ran the DC half marathon. And, you know, it was over there by RFK Stadium. Now, if you've ever ran that, marath- that, that half marathon, it's tough. You think it's flat. You're like, yeah, D.C. is pretty flat. Like, no, it's not flat at all. Start right, Go up, you know, by DuPont Circle. So it's a tough route, and so Michelle decides to run the, run the marathon. She didn't want to stop. She wants to get all the way through. So I go to the finish line, and all of a sudden, I see her. She's trucking around the corner, and she's running. I, I'm, cursing. I'm like, she didn't stop. She's going to accomplish her goal. And that day, I was the best encourager ever. I'm like, oh, yeah, come on. Let's go, let's go. I've never been so proud. It was amazing. It was amazing. That is the way that we are being cheered on by these saints who have gone before us. They can't wait. They love seeing it. And as the racer, they can be encouraged by it because they're thinking, I'm going to finish. I've got all of these people behind me. That's a true one another. So lastly, let's get into the the last group who we're together with. We've talked about how we're together with Christ. We talked about how we're together with those saints who've gone on before us. But lastly, we're together with one another right here. As a church, we can re- be reminded of how to do this through our covenant, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the, do- the day drawing near. You know, before I came to ARC, you know, I'd never been in a church that had a covenant, or had a, a church where we read something every week, and I, I didn't get it, and I kind of would walk in, I'd say, "It okay, this is fine," you know. Every time now, I just come to appreciate it more and more as I've gotten to know the saints more. And, I've, you know, we, we, we become this church family over four years. I'm like, wow, okay, no, I, I need to follow this. And there have been times that I've, that I've, I've wanted to do the wrong thing. I, I, I You know, I wanted to, 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 to not be with the saints or I wanted to, to not encourage this person or I wanted to not deal with the difficulties that that person is going through at the time. And then I open up the covenant and it's like, no, we got to bear with one another. No, I need to grieve with those who grieve. Okay. That's what the Bible tells me to do. And so we kind of just sketch this out as a church family. And now it's this unbelievable encouragement to me every time we read it. And we do these things in our covenant as we strive forward toward our reward. In following this covenant, we are communally moving in the same direction Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire." This is, this is the, the, the eternal viewpoint, the way in which we, we look at our covenant to understand, hey, if we do these things, we're moving towards this unshakable reward. That reward's not changing. That reward's gonna stay how it is. That reward is, is perfect and good and right. So I need help moving towards it because it's not gonna move. So that's the last way that we're together. So application number two. How can you be encouraged in this urgency the most. Maybe you're not feeling it this morning. Maybe you're a member of ARC, like, oh, I'm not feeling this, right? Well, here, here's the application point. It's really simple. Show up. Show up. Now, I set up Alex this morning. I set him up bad, Alex Woods, because my illustration for why it's important to show up has to do with, I guess, one of his favorite players. You see, when it comes to a game, when it comes to life, you can't play if you don't practice. You can't play if you don't practice. Now, there was a guy named Alan Iverson, He's the rookie of the year, MVP, 11 time All Star. There's one thing he doesn't have a ring. He doesn't have a ring. part of the reason that he doesn't have a ring, he decided not to show up. Here's a quote. How can I make my teammates better by practicing? We aren't talking about the game. We're talking about practice. Not the game. Practice. What about my game? That was the attitude of Allen Iverson. 76ers didn't win. Sorry, Philly, Philly. I got Philly people here. <laughs> so here's my challenge to Alan Iverson about making your teammates better. Why does he go ask some people who know? Like Luke Longley, Tony Kukoch. Cool, you're like, who are these guys? How about the next one? Steve Kerr, Dennis Rodman, Oh, oh Scotty Pippen, Michael Jordan. See, these, these guys had an understanding that by showing up and practicing with one another, they're going to build one another up to make themselves a great team. Rewind back to 97 finals. Game six, Utah Jazz, Chicago Bulls. It's the end of the game. They get in the huddle, 25 seconds left or so. Phil Jackson gets in the huddle, and everybody, everybody knows. Everybody knows in the whole arena, everybody knows in the entire world who the ball is going to. It's going to MJ. Phil field is always going to go to MJ, but in that huddle, MJ goes, <laughs> he looks at Steve Kerr and says, be ready, because he knew that he was going to be double teamed by John Stockton and that Kerr was going to be left open, and he knew he could depend on Steve Kerr to pass that ball and drain that shot just like he did with five seconds left to win the 1997 NBA Finals. That was only one of six championships with a superstar who taught the rest of the team what it meant to practice. He was always the first and last guy in that gym. That is the attitude that we need to take as a family. We need to understand that our practicing together, that's what's going to produce these results. That's what's going to get us to that day. Victoriously in Christ, you can't do it alone. Ask Alan Iverson. So in the end, encouraging one another is an urgent matter. And that urgency should encourage your hearts. Encourage one another today, day after day, or else be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin alone. And be encouraged for that day, day after day, while being tenderheartedly together until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that you have given us a ministry of reconciliation to preach your word to those who are far off and to those who are near. Thank you, Lord, that you've used your body in this way, making plain to us that we can't do this alone. And you wouldn't have it any other way because as the God of the universe, you came down, you condescended to be with your people, not from a a high and lofty place that that, that there's no access to, but rather you made a way so we could be like you and we could be with you. Help us, Lord, to understand the urgency of encouragement. Cause us to encourage one another day after day. Do not let even one person in this room leave without encouraging somebody else and being encouraged by somebody else. Thank you for building up your church, for giving us one another. In Jesus' name, amen.